Hi, I'm WTOP Entertainment Editor Jason Fraley, and we are joined by Kevin Sampson, who is the founder of the DC Black Film Fest and Picture Lock. Um, you've seen him on TV around town giving reviews as well on the local news. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you having me, Jason. Uh, always. <laughs> for sure. Um, it's, it's nice when you, you, know, you can you know, talk under happier times, but sadly, you know, it's, it's been a really rough couple weeks here since you know coronavirus 100,000 deaths wasn't enough now we have the the double gut punch here of uh you know the the senseless death of George Floyd um just before we start do you do you want to say anything uh, you know comment on that off the top or and you know the protests we've seen yeah man i i think just to be black in america right now during this time like you said it's kind of a double whammy i think that Man, I've been doing a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, uh, and during this time, it's 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 tough, man. Um, what you're seeing is the result of things just being stuffed down, um, the result of history, the result of oppression, and um, it's really unfortunate, man. It's just it's it's check on all when people say check on your black friends it's it's not a joke like i think a lot of us have had some kind of touch of you know depression during this time or um just dealing with so many different emotions so yeah man i, I you know rest in peace to uh george floyd uh, unfortunately he is one of uh, a number of people who have just died um when death shouldn't have been the end result. So I think that's all I'll say on that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, hopefully, I think the funeral was today, or it might even still be going on as we're talking. Um, yep. But um, hopefully, you know, justice is achieved in that case. And I believe, you know, I think the Black Lives Matter movement has been around for maybe, what, like five or so years now. And it seems like every time we say, you know, maybe this will be the turning point, and it still goes on. So, you know, but I hope maybe... God willing, this will finally be, you know, the turning point. And I hope a moment where a lot of people will just pause and, and listen and learn a little more when they see Black Lives Matter. Those first couple of years ago, there'd be so many people respond, well, all lives matter. And yes, of course, all lives matter. But you're missing the point when you say that, you know, you, you know, if a house is on fire down the street, you're not going to say, yeah, what if about my house yeah yours is not the one on fire right now so yes look i hope i'm hoping it's different this time and but that i guess that's what we're trying to do here with with this with this subject yeah definitely agree with you i think the interesting thing is uh, and as as we'll see in in this list man is that uh this is history repeating itself and so i i guess that's the definition of insanity so hopefully like you said we can just really um, have cool heads come together so that we can uh, solve this issue. Absolutely. All right. So as you mentioned, we're going to do a list here. Um, you've ranked the, um, you know, top 25 films to help understand, you know, race relations in America. Um, you and I are, are huge movie buffs. I mean, we go way back. <laughs> yeah. um, so we love doing lists list and stuff. But I wanted to tell our audiences why, you know, why I wanted to bring you in to do this list. You know, I am obsessed with best lists. I love them. You know, the American Film Institute, all the Academy Award winners, all that stuff. I've studied it for years. But if you stop and pause, you know, 
history is written by the quote unquote winners. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of those things in organization academy, the AFI itself are historically white scholars or compiled by white critics at newspapers, things like that. So it doesn't always tell the whole story. So I didn't want to sit down and put together a traditional, you know, in these times with this tragedy that just happened, I didn't want to put together a list that's just, you know, that traditional, you know, thing. I, I wanted to bring you in and maybe get, you know, a, a, a wider perspective on it. So um, thank you so much, so much for doing it. Um, I, I mean, is that sort of your goal with, with this list is to kind of do something non-traditional here? Yeah, most definitely. And I appreciate you thinking about that and making the space with uh, WTOP just to allow a black voice to cultivate a list, because I think that's really all it is, Jason, right, is is making space for other voices. Uh, and so, yeah, I cultivated a top 25 uh, films uh, list for, you know, dealing that deal with race relations. And obviously, when you talk about race um, right now with this list, specifically, I'm talking more so black and white. Right. Um, because we do have, you know, Asians, indigenous people, et cetera. Um, but this specifically, I thought about this and putting it together and I was kind of like, all right, uh, what is the list that I take my children uh, through in order to kind of understand a race in America. Uh, and I, I think also, like, if aliens came down to Earth and were like, what's going on here? Uh, they could look at this list and they could really kind of see, uh, a, a, get an idea for what, what's going on. Cool. So I, I want to go down the list, uh, number 25 to number one. Um, and, but just one more final, um, you know, preface, disclaimer before we hop in. Um, I want our listeners to know, you know, don't be surprised if you don't see some, you know, the quote unquote classics, you know, we're not going to see your, you know, they call me Mr. Tibbs. We're not going to see Atticus Finch, you know, and even some of the ones that, you know, maybe are a little newer that as you and I were talking before we got on here, maybe movies that handle them with kitty gloves, you know, like <laughs> right. your blind side, remember the Titans driving Miss Daisy green book. You know, we're not saying that some of these are Oscar winners, best picture winners, but we're not saying that, you know, they aren't worth watching. I think the idea is that most people a, have seen these already and be maybe them that handle the topic with a little more grit, a little more authenticity. And, you know, maybe will make us think more because a, we haven't seen them already and b they're, they're a little more um, in your face. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the whole key, right? If we continue to, raise up you know the helps the butlers the green books etc um that is a certain image of race relations that i think says like hey everything's okay but i think some of these films that i I, i've put on here are the ones that like definitely like in black households like you watch it and you need a little time to cool off but unfortunately they're not written or put together based off of uh, a false narrative like these films typically most of them actually as I look at the list they are written based upon historical facts so uh, yeah buckle in uh, get some popcorn don't be afraid <laughs> just bear with it and uh, I think at the end of this like people will really understand kind of like okay this is kind of what it feels like to be black in America yeah fasten your seatbelt let's do this thing all right now, um, so we have 25 here, and you have a dishonorable mention uh, before we get to the 25. D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation, of course, the very first feature-length film as we know it. And yes, 
one of the most racist movies of all time, uh, similar to Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will for the Nazis, same thing of uh, propaganda. So why did you want to do a dishonorable mention? Yeah, so uh, as you said, Jason, like we studied this in film school. Um, you have to give credit to D.W. Griffith for the mammoth thing that he put together. Unfortunately, while he did um, create the first feature film, the first big blockbuster, kind of ushered in the Hollywood studio system, um, he he also ushered in so many stereotypes in media that we see to this day. And so if you ever can stomach watching The Birth of a Nation, yes, you will get a lesson in uh, cinema and cross-cutting and uh, all the different types of framing that we use to this day, but you will also um, realize that so many of the different tropes that we hear about what black people are, what black men do, or, you know, what uh, mixed women are, etc., kind of really came from this film. So that is the dishonorable mention. Again, as a cinematic achievement, it's amazing. In terms of what it did and just kicking things off in the beginning of this amazing art that we call film, uh, it really, I feel like started the roots of a lot of the things that we see in the media today, which is just terrible. Yes, and I think very telling that that is the movie that started it all. I think that right. in itself is, is very telling. Um, okay, so now on with the, without further ado, the actual list. Um, I'm going to turn the floor over to you with each of these and toss it out one at a time. All right, so at number 25, you have The Learning Tree, 1969, by director Gordon Parks. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a film that you definitely want to teach in your African-American cinema course. Um, But this film, 1969, Gordon Parks was the first African-American director to be backed by a studio, the Hollywood studio system. It hadn't been done before. And so this film is really seminal in what started, you know, ushered in kind of the black exploitation um, era. However, um, it really just opened doors for us to see black directors um, that are able to actually helm films. And so this film really is about uh, a young man, Newt Winger. It's a coming of age film in a small town. Um, it definitely deals with race and race relations. And um, man, if when you watch it, it I mean, Jason, I could spend the whole time just talking about it, uh, but <laughs> but again, it's it's really important um, when you see that he's talking about 1920s Kansas, and here we are in 2020, and many of the things that we still see to this day um, are depicted in this film. Uh, again, I think it will shine a light on how we have gotten to where we are now. Now, the one great thing about this is that um, the learning tree uh, is really his town and how it teaches him good things. It teaches him bad things. And, and the discussion of, you know, some all people are bad, all people are good. Like we all have good and bad in us. It's just what we're allowing uh, to really come to the forefront. So you definitely have to respect this one as a cinematic achievement. Uh, but it's also a really great film to watch. You mentioned, you know, the the black civilization movement. You know, we're talking about 
after this parks would make shaft and superfly and then uh, you know i think jack hill made foxy brown and then there was dolomite whole era uh, but you have it sort of uh, the learning tree is the one that started it all yeah um get out uh 2017, Jordan Peele, um, God, I think I named it the best movie of the decade when I recently did a list. So much symbolism in this one. Why'd you have that at 24? You know, I, so this, I, I would say that <laughs> number six through 25, like, is kind of like, I just needed to put it in the list. Like, I could move this around so many times, and, and I, I tried to. Uh, but it has to be on that top 25 for sure. Probably people would say, hey, this should be moved up a little, a lot uh, higher. Uh, but get out. Um, this is one of those films that deals with race without necessarily being so in your face. Like the way that uh, Peel really wrote this script, um, infused that sci fi into it. Uh, infuse the drama uh, and and the fact that everything isn't so overt um, instead you really have to think about what is going on what's being said looking at as, as you said watching the film more than once um, this is definitely one that definitely talks about race and you can have those conversations afterwards so it definitely has to be on the list get out Oh, yeah. There was a critic that once said, you haven't seen Vertigo until you've seen it again. And I, I said the same thing about Get Out with, you know, the the American flag wardrobe they're wearing, the uh, deer antlers, the fact that he picks cotton to escape. There, there's some of the dialogue lines about the groundskeepers, double meanings. It, it's unbelievable. Um, I, I just think it's a freaking masterpiece. Um, okay, number 23, American History X, 1998 by Tony K. Why did you have that? That's a powerful movie. Man, <laughs> I know. This is, I remember as, uh, I guess, 1998, yeah, I was still a teenager back then, uh, seeing this film, and it was the first time I remember seeing Edward Norton and really saying, like, oh, wow, this guy is a good actor. Um, again, I'm a teenager at the time. Uh, but this film... Um, there's something going from hating someone um, to actually caring for someone that that change that we can all make as human beings is really depicted well I think in this film um, it's it's definitely a longer film uh, to, you know at a two hour running time but I think it's definitely uh, worth the watch uh, and de- and definitely in terms of seeing uh, Edward Norton's character I think it's Derek Vineyard. Uh, and how he uh, goes to prison after being, you know, a neo-Nazi and uh, eventually comes out a changed person. Um, I think that we can learn something from uh, this film, uh, but I think the way that, again, it deals with race in a raw and real way is these are the conversations that we have to have. We have to have the raw but real conversations. Um, We have to understand that, hey, Sometimes we've we've grown up in an environment in which, you know, saying, uh, you know, racial words against somebody else is just it's kind of normal. So, like, we have to learn. And so I think that this just is a good character developing character arc type of movie that's really, as I said, raw and real. Oh, it will Take your emotions and curb stomp you. <laughs> Isn't that that movie where they make Did some you just curb? say, yes, did you just? <laughs> oh, my. oh. man, oh, my teeth are hurting just thinking about it. Yeah, like, that. Man, it, it's, a, it's a great one. That that scene in and um, of itself is, oh, that's terrible. But it's, yeah, watch yeah. it. 
Number 22, um, another great movie, one of the best in recent years. Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk from 2018. Um, our listeners, why that's essential. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Regina King, um, she received an Oscar off of uh, her performance in this film. Uh, it's a beautiful film. Um, if you, I honestly feel like if you ever want to know and understand in terms of how, um, racism or systematic racism can affect a family if Beale Street could talk really shows this um, obviously based on James Baldwin's uh, 1974 novel of the same name um, but you're able to see how a system uh, and injustice can radically change a life like that and I think that's something that um, Barry Jenkins was really able to capture in this film uh, as a black male. Uh, I just remember watching this and in many parts just feeling like I wanted to hold my breath. I just wanted, you know, the, the, the results of everything to just totally be different. Um, but I think that's what Sometimes I'm just kind of thinking, but like, I feel like the fear um, that you feel in watching this, or at least that I felt in watching this, the fear for uh, the main character and his future is the same fear that a lot of times I'll have just going through my regular life. Like, uh, you know, hope I don't get blamed for something that I had nothing to do with uh, and the system just, you know, pushes me into it so you know you know this is a tough watch um but again like i said i think if you if you want to see how uh, a system can quickly change a life this definitely captures that oh yeah and so many human moments too i love when they're going through the apartment the empty apartment that they're about to move in and they're carrying the invisible refrigerator (laughs) right 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 and barry jenkins his camera i think is even you know comes like a POV from childbirth at one point. It's it's crazy awesome stuff. And um, I mean, I know I know Moonlight, you know, put him on the map and you know, one best picture. But I could see why you put this on here instead for this topic we're doing. Moonlight's more of a you know an LGBT picture, and this is this is sort of a race relations movie. So good on you for including this, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, number twenty one, um, Hollywood Shuffle eighty seven by Robert Townsend. Why'd you pick this? You know. Th- <laughs> you don't want to have a list that is just 100% doom and gloom, right? You got to have a comedy in here. Uh, But, you know, the sad thing is that this thing still resonates, Jason. Like, uh, Hollywood Shuffle was made in 1987, and I think we've done, we've come a long way. But we still have a long way to go. Um, And the way that Robert is able to give us medicine through comedy um, is just genius. Uh, I can watch this and I still laugh at it, uh, but definitely you want to check this one out. Um, and basically, it's uh, kind of, in some ways, a satirical, no, I guess it is a satirical comedy, uh, just about racial stereotypes of African Americans and film and television. And one of the things that you'll really notice, Jason, is that um, in the 80s and 90s, we had this moment, again, like I said, going back to number 25, Gordon Parks opens this door. And so now we're able to see uh, black directors actually getting behind the camera. But unfortunately, through cinema history, there's been so many different 
stereotypes of us on the big screen. And so uh, really, Robert Townsend deals with how at the and, and this moment in time, a lot of times when you go out for auditions, you know, they were looking for an Eddie Murphy type because Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing uh, around at that time and in that moment. Or they're looking for thug number one, thug number two. But black people are really trying to say, hey, I'm more than just this. Like, I want to be able to express myself uh, through my creativity. But I don't want to have to, you know, play, you know, the servant or the help in order to do it. And so I think the way that this film uh, is, lays things out there is just awesome. Number 20, Detroit. 2017 by Catherine Bigelow. I mean, one of the best directors we've had um, in recent years. The Hurt Locker won Best Picture. I thought Zero Dark Thirty, dare say, maybe even better than The Hurt Locker. About <laughs> and Hunt. And then, then she comes. Then she turns from you know war zones on foreign soil to war zones in our own street in a true story that will give you the hair on your neck will stand up. Tell tell us what this one is about. Yeah, so, you know, again, this is kind of based, well, I shouldn't say kind of, this is based off of a true story uh, in the summer of 1967. Um, there's rioting and civil unrest that's tearing Detroit apart. Uh, and I think the reason that I put this on here for sure is um, the one thing that I think about is how in watching the film, she is able to capture the feeling that black men feel any time that, and not any and every time, but um, many times when um, at least we're being questioned by the police and it just feels like whatever I say could be wrong. Like this is like the navigating of how do I make it home in those types of situations. Um, she captures that wonderfully. Like you're holding your breath during this you're extremely nervous, and that suspense and that raw, rot tension, the the feeling of helplessness, and again, like that rot tension, um, is captured really not beautifully, as in it's beautiful, but like it's real. Um, so, I mean, you know, for me personally, Jason, like every time I've uh, you know interacted with a cop, it has not been bad. Most of the time, it's not bad. There have been times, though, that it's like, whoa, what's going on right now? Like, I didn't do anything. And that doesn't I'm, I'm not sure if that happens for all black people or whatever. Um, but I definitely think that the feeling um, that sometimes I think in our community that we might have uh, towards policemen uh, or police officers um, is kind of captured here. And I think when, you know, you've seen cousins, friends, uh, family members, etc., that have been treated this way, or you know about stories, and especially I think what it is in this time in 2020, you can see all of these stories, right? So these things have been happening, but now that we have video cameras and we have the internet and you can't really escape um, or wash things like that under the rug. Um, you think about Ahmaud Arbery, like the fact that, it, you know, thank God it actually, the video came out in terms of, you know, these guys could have just been asleep right now in their beds. But uh, because of the fact that the video leaked, um, we're able to know kind of what happened or at least see what happened and um, hopefully get justice in that situation. But 
Um, the point is, I think that, uh, man, it, it just captures that emotion. Um, and that's kind of, again, the stuff that we have to stuff down and that has kind of come out uh, in this case uh, in 2020. Absolutely. And you had, uh, I believe, John Boyega from, you know, Finn from Star Wars is one of the uh, cops who's trying to hold it all together and, you know, keep the peace during it all. And I know he he gave a, a great speech during protests, I believe, in London um, yesterday or today. So, yeah, um, there's a lot of uh, br- brave actors involved. Um, all right. Number 19. This is a wild movie. Sorry to bother you. 2018. <laughs> uh, directed by Boots Riley. Um bizarre sci-fi-ish ending uh, very in your face probably a little polarizing but uh you know why do you want to put this on it yeah i think that's the thing about a lot of the so if you'll notice in my list like i have a lot of films that are kind of eight like late 80s um the 90s right because i think it's where um black directors really just got raw got real and started talking right um and then now you know, it's almost like 20 years later, suddenly we have this resurgence, this new voice uh, from black directors that is, again, raw and real, but they're speaking in a different way. And so Sorry to Bother You is definitely one of those out there movies that's just like, huh? So, you know, and once you get to the third act, it's kind of like, what in the world? But I just, I really love kind of how he lays out um, in, in a comical way, you know, kind of that feeling of this is how you get ahead in corporate America. Um, this is how you put on a certain voice, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, again, it's one of those uh, in your face kind of uh, <laughs> black comedies, um, but it's definitely worth the watch. Uh, number three. You have Dear White People from 2014, directed by Justin Simeon, and uh, talk about why this was important. Yeah, I I think if you've ever been, well, you haven't, but (laughs) I have, uh, a black person on a predominantly white campus uh, in a college setting, you know, typically you're there to learn, you're there to, um, you know, get your degree, etc. Um, but you're also there to learn about who you are as a person. And I think that Dear White People really kind of deals with what it's like to be a minority on a predominantly white campus. Um, and not only that, uh, he, Justin Simeon, the director, he really kind of tackles um, the different personalities within you know, a black community that you might see on campus uh, and kind of what they're dealing with uh, as well as they are trying to be on campus, learn and, um, you know, just get their education all the while while being minority. So I think the way that, again, this is one of these new voices you know, Justin just opens the conversation through the film uh, is something that you definitely have to check out. I know that the, the title Dear White People might scare folks, but I, that's just the, the name of the radio show. This film actually went on to become, you know, a Netflix television show. I think they might be on season four by now. Um, I know they're wrapping up. It's like the, about to be the final season. So this is definitely one that, hey, the movie came and then now we have this series. Uh, so it, it definitely must have done something right. I definitely would check it out. Don't be afraid of the title. Yeah, it's, it's like MASH, you know, like you, you've watched the TV, but you, you started with the movie. <laughs> yeah, the movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So number 17, man, I'm so glad you put this one on here. Queen and Slim 2019. 
by, directed by Melina Matsukis. I just thought it was one of the most underrated movies um, of last year. <laughs> Why did you put it on there? Yeah, I think exactly for what you just said, Jason. One of the things as an African-American film critic, um, there is a, I, I, unfortunately, I feel like there's a reason that we have, you know, the African-American Film Critics Association um, or, you know, our friend Tim Gordon has the Black Reel Awards um, because Tim so many, yeah, <laughs> so many of these films that are great and people should check out get swept under the rug. And this is one of them. Um, you know, uh, Queen and Slim, basically, it is after a policeman pulls over this couple for a minor traffic violation, uh, the situation escalates and uh, Slim takes the officer's gun and shoots him in self-defense. And so once that happens, you know, just as black people, it's for the, these characters, they're just like, look, we're screwed. We got to get out of here. And so what you wind up seeing is uh, this journey in self-discovery for the characters. It's beautifully shot. Um, it is uh, beautifully, the story just unfolds beautifully as it's told. It's, it's a lot of moments where people are just living in the scene. Um, and as they go through America, um, I don't want to give too much away. Like you're just able to see these little snapshots of culture, um, of, of American life. And, uh, thinking about George Floyd, uh, I just think this movie really captures how people can go from, uh, living human beings to becoming a symbol um, and by the end of this film, that I, I remember when I was sitting in the theaters, I was just crying because uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you just feel like, man, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, but then also you understand how people go from and really uh, a lot of people are kind of upset right now. And some people are saying, oh, George Floyd, he wasn't a good person. He didn't deserve to die like that. But, you know, look at his history or this, that, the other and all these different reports coming out. But when you, if you really want to understand like how and why he becomes this symbol, I think Queen and Slim really kind of shows that. Absolutely. And I, I think it belongs right up there in the same conversation as, you know, Bonnie and Clyde or Badlands or uh, Gun Crazy, Thumb and Louise, all those. And like those, it's, it's, you know, it, you know, it's not going to end, end well for the heroes there, but um, but I think it belongs immediately instant classic in that, in that subgenre there. I, I loved it. And, you know, a point with that, right, is a, a lot of times people will say the black Bonnie and Clyde. Right. And and I think in many ways, that's the thing that we have to change. Like, it doesn't need to be a black Bonnie and Clyde. It is just queen and slim. It's a it is one of those stories where they're on the lamb and it doesn't end well. Um, but it's. As you said, it's just as beautiful as Bonnie and Clyde. It's just told through a different lens and different perspective. But I think when we can appreciate and embrace um, these films and these stories, even though it might not be the classic, uh, you know, Beatty film, uh, that's what's really important. So I appreciate you saying that. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Beatty film is the white Queen Flint. <laughs> you know what I mean? We just gotta, and and granted, you know, it is a line in the movie, and it's in the trailer. That's why I think a lot of critics called it that. But you're right; it's just let's call it Queen and Slim. All right, number sixteen, Twelve Years a Slave. Oh my God, 2013, Steve McQueen, Best Picture winner. I, I 
still remember where I was when I saw it. And I, to me, it's like it's the closest thing to sitting and watching like Schindler's List. Yeah, man. I think this is honestly a film. I think I saw this once and I, I don't have to watch it again. It's one of those films like right. you, you see it once and like you can't unsee it and you don't need to go back and revisit it. Uh, this film really kind of catapulted uh, so many different actors that we see all the time uh, right now. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Lupita Nyong'o, um, they're both, you know, in household ha- uh, blah, household names at this point. Uh, but this film uh, is just such a raw look at what slavery uh, was like in, in the South um, the fact that uh, it's a true story of a free black man from upstate New York who's kidnapped, sold into slavery, and for 12 years he was a slave until he could escape. Um, man, this, again, is one of those raw, real, you, you look at it and you flinch looks at slavery. I remember one of the things I remember is just the the actual the soundtrack and, and the sound um, design in this film. And how that played right. such a huge role into it. Um, I don't remember who uh, was actually the composer for this, but that music, it was it was so off kilter at many times because everything that was happening in the film is off. It shouldn't be this way. This shouldn't be happening. It was uh, like overlapping sound. Remember? Yes. Like- and, and 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 that's the thing. That's how powerful this film is. Jason, if we watch this in like 2013, haven't seen it since, but I still remember enough, like where I can actually call out scenes. That's how powerful this movie is. Um, I think definitely in terms of race relations and looking at slavery and, you know, how bad it was. Uh, I think, you know, Steve McQueen definitely nailed it there. And I mean, you know, shout out to Brad Pitt and, you know, the work that he has been doing in, in terms of making sure that, you know, diverse voices are, are heard in, in cinema. It's uh, definitely something that's needed. Right, because Brad Pitt, you know, he's in the movie at the end, but right. uh, company produced it. So, um, but yeah, uh, I looked it up. It was it was freaking Hans Zimmer. Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, Should have But uh, man, Steve McQueen, uh, the, just that long, those long takes of, you know, him, you know, hanging from the tree. You wanted to look away in the theater, but you, you were just, he forced you to look at it. And then you had, God, you even had Michael Fassbender leaning on Lupita's head almost like she's just some fence post it, it remind me of Eamon Gotham Schindler I mean it, it's like villainous stuff and I think you're right it's one of those you probably don't have to watch once to fully get but it's like hard to watch but impossible to forget is what I would say yeah exactly and that's the thing with this list Jason I think if people actually go through it and 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 they actually you know pull out some of these films and, and watch it um you can't help but leave uh, changed in hopefully a positive way, um, even though it's a really tough watch. Absolutely. Must see. Um, all right, number 15, Let It Fall, Los Angeles, 1982 to 1992. Now, this was uh, directed by John Ridley, a documentary in 2017. Um, explain why you, you wanted to put a doc on here like this. Yeah, uh, you know, I think documentaries really help us to kind of understand things and um, they also document what's going on or what happened at a certain time and so with this documentary it really takes a look at Los Angeles between 1982 through 1992 Um, I think you get a little bit more of a a well-rounded view at least with 
black community, Asian community, uh, police. Uh, and so you can, you can kind of see, again, just like right now in the time that we're living in, yes, uh, in 2020 right now in this moment, you're seeing uh, this rioting that's happening and you're seeing the spillover of all of this oppression. And so in the same way, when it came to uh, the 1992 uh, riots, uh, also known as Rodney King riots, um, this film is able to show you, well, what happened in the decade kind of leading up to it. And so uh, there's another one, there's another documentary called Let It Burn. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's definitely an amazing documentary where really it's the, the footage speaks for itself. So it's not necessarily like kind of narrated, but um, the the footage, archival footage, is cut together in such a way where it tells the story, and so it's really beautiful. It's kind of similar to that. Um, there are you know interviews within it, uh, but I definitely think that this is uh, an important watch, an important film to watch um, and documentary, uh, especially when, as I said earlier in the interview, like I've been really thinking about like what's going on in this moment. And not only that, but looking back in history and seeing how things aren't changing. Okay, why aren't they changing? And so I think it's really important to see, like, this moment in time has happened before. And hopefully it won't happen again. Um, But this is one of those films that can kind of highlight what happened in the past. For sure. And important. I mean, everybody remembers remembers the, the catchphrase, you know, they can't we all just get along, Rodney King. But this is a way to, you know, why don't you go back and look and see the 10 years, the decade that that led up to that point. Um, And then, you know, of course that set the stage for, you know, OJ in LA and basically the whole, the whole nineties. Exactly. Number four, number 14. God, another, I'm just going down this. I'm like, I love this. I love (laughs) Uh, Mudbound, Mudbound 2017. I remember seeing it out at Middleburg Film Fest. Uh, D Reese was there, the director. Um, Explain what, what was so great about this one. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is when I saw it as well uh, at uh, Middleburg Film Festival, and it was great being able to see D. Reese there. Um, yeah, so this particular film um, just looks at uh, some soldiers who were coming back. Um, you see kind of them going and then coming back uh, from World War II. And uh, in the deep American South, Um, what it looked like for those soldiers that were returning to an America that they had just gone to fight for, but uh, did not respect them. And I think there's so many different scenes within this film um, that are uh, just disturbing, but it really, again, captures beautifully the feeling that young black men were feeling uh, in terms of going to war to fight for a country that didn't really fight for them or love them in return you know as the soldier comes back and he has to go is told to go around back uh to enter a shop um but it's like (laughs) listen I just risked my life for you and this is how you treat me and so again dealing with race relations in our history I think that this it really captures that beautifully and you know there's a scene that's uh towards the end in the in the final act that is just uh horrific it's not that it's you know brutal and and gory it's just extremely scary and so definitely another one that um you can watch and you can really get a, a, an understanding of you know the history of this nation and how we've gotten to this point 
thinking about World War II and how these men came back after fighting. And then again, you know, Ali, he doesn't want to go to Vietnam to fight uh, Vietnamese people who have never done anything to him. Uh, you know, you'll see and, and start to hopefully kind of understand a lot of where the, all these feelings are coming from. For sure. And and not to mention just D. Reese, just the composition. It's, I, I wish I could say, I hope people could see it on the big screen, but maybe on your flat screen, you know, give it, just watch and scan the images. And, uh, you know, to me, it reminded me of those people working the land, you know, John Ford's like Grapes of Wrath or George Stevens Giant, or, you know, I, th- I think it, visually it, it harkens a lot to that. Um, but then like what you're saying with that, meta, you know, the, the quote unquote, why we fight docs used to be made for the troops. Like, how are you going over there? And then coming back and you're not, you're, you're not equal. It's like, it's like we're purchased message overseas, but we don't believe it at home. It, it's <laughs> right. Asinine. But, um, what a movie. All right. Um, number 13, higher learning, 1995, John Singleton. Um, everyone remembers he put himself on the map, um, with, with boys in the hood in 91, a great movie, but, uh, you, you put, you went with higher learning. Explain why you love this one. Yeah, you know, I feel like Boys in the Hood is classic, and probably most people have seen it. Higher Learning is another John Singleton. John Singleton actually is on this list repeatedly. I think he really had a way with depicting uh, black life and um, just putting it on the big screen. And so this is a portrait of college life in the 90s. Um, you know, there was so many different actors that really kind of came out of this. I mean, Ice Cube is in this, Michael Rappaport, Omar Epps. Uh, and so what you see, again, is kind of what it was like being black uh, on a campus that's predominantly white in the 1990s. But you see this, honestly, like with Michael Rappaport's character, he his name is Remy. He's, uh, I believe he's a freshman. He, he's really awkward. He comes on campus and what you see is this thing that universally we all just want to kind of fit in. We want to be loved. We want to um, have people. Right. And so you see how this uh, one young man chooses, you know, uh, family and the skinheads that are on the campus and, you know, everything that kind of happens from that. So it's it's really um, uh I feel like one of those watches that, again, is kind of difficult, uh, but when you finish watching it, you just feel um, as though you've you've witnessed something, something very important and an important message. So um, it definitely looks at the racial and socioeconomic divide in this country. You mentioned all the great cast. Lawrence Fishburne, too, back from mm-hmm. after, Fur- after Fury Styles and, you know, his big gentrification speeches and everything in that movie here he's doing the run faster scene and everything so <laughs> right. um so jason you know out, your everybody. stuff <laughs> <laughs> um number 12 loose 2019 julius ona directing i remember when you viewed this on channel 7 on tv yeah loose is one of those ones that i saw in sundance and uh was that 2019 or is it, yeah or 20 yeah, so 2019, goodness, it feels like it was 2018. But I saw it in Sundance, and this was the film that I was just like, this is the movie of the year. Um, and again, unfortunately, I feel like other, certain films, at least in, in our body of critics, like they get boosted up. But this film has this amazing scene between Octavia Spencer and Kelvin Harrison Jr. that is a masterclass in acting and subtext. 
Uh, but, you know, just to kind of give the plot, um, there's a, a boy, Kelvin Harrison Jr., who plays uh, Luce. He is adopted from war, war-torn Eritrea. Uh, and so basically he was a child soldier. He's adopted by these two white parents. And so he goes through a lot of counseling. They take him through counseling. And when we meet him, he is at high school. And um, he is kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, the Barack Obama of his high school. Like, everybody is looking up to him. And that is a heavy weight for him to bear. Um, And so what you really see in this film is uh, a message of the boxes that we put people in. And uh, the protections that we give certain people, but we won't give to others. And so as the film kind of goes on, you start to wonder some of the bad things that are happening around campus if Luce is actually doing it. And at the same time, while some of the evidence might point to him doing it, people really kind of, you know, cover things up because Luce is you know, the golden child, right? He has the amazing story of being a former child soldier and now reformed. So uh, it really does look at like, just how do we um, deal with people? How do we put certain weights on people? And is that fair? Uh, And so I definitely think this is an amazing film that people definitely need to watch. Awesome. Uh, Number 11, A Time to Kill, ooh, 1996. (laughs) Uh, directed by Joe Schumacher, unforgettable performance with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, tell us why you had this here. Yeah, you know this is a this is another difficult film. Uh, gave us some, you know, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, really, his career kind of skyrocketed. Uh, Sandra Bullock's in this, but at the end of the day, I think uh, it's a difficult thing, right? So samuel l jackson's obviously this is 1996 hopefully people have seen it if you haven't you need to um but kind of spoiler alert um samuel l jackson's character is heartbroken because his daughter young daughter like we're talking about i I think she might have been 10 or something like that is raped and then kind of left for dead right and so then the men that raped uh his daughter get off so uh he and his anger kills them, right? And uh, I'm not saying that this is justified or anything like that. I don't think so at all. However, the one line that always sticks out to me is at the end as Matthew McConaughey is making the closing statements, and he gives these details to the juror, and he has them close their eyes and just imagine this young girl, she's raped, etc. And then at the end, he says, now imagine she was white. And I think that is the whole thing, right? Um, many times we don't place ourselves in other people's shoes. And because of that, we see things through our own lens. And I think that if we were able to really just kind of, hey, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like, what would it mean if, you know, your son or father or brother or cousin or in many ways, you know, with Breonna Taylor, mother, cousin, uh, you know, was stripped from the earth, but in a way that was just um, unjust is is no other way to put it. Um, And so I think the whole empathy thing is one of the biggest, you know, as we as cinema files, like 
when we try to boil a film down to a theme, you know, <laughs> that's one of the things that really is palpable in this movie. I mean, again, terrific acting, um, so many great actors, a great screenplay. Um, you definitely have to watch this film. Yeah, I remember our, our good mentor, Russell Williams, always, he was always so angry that uh, Samuel L. Jackson never won the Oscar for that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. um, shout out to Russell. All right, num- we've reached the top ten. I love it. All right, Man, this took, a, this took a while. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. You, hey, we can. this is a whole freaking podcast. Go ahead and throw it up. I on know. <laughs> <laughs> picture log or whatever, man. I, you know, let's do it right. Let's give people, you know, explain why you pick. Um, all right, number 10. I think one of the greatest documentaries of all time, I'm Not Your Negro, 2016 by Raul Peck, um, based on the James Baldwin. Man, I remember where I was when I watched it. I remember I was flying out to cover the Oscars that year, and, you know, you're catching up on – you got all your screeners, and you're catching up on your docs and your foreign films and stuff like that. And I remember popping in and just being blown away. I mean, it made such an impact that I remembered where I was when I watched it. Yeah. So um, explain, you know, explain why this thing is – so damn essential for everyone to see yeah you know uh so the filmmaker basically takes um uh at the time of james baldwin's death uh he had 30 completed pages of this manuscript and so in this film he kind of tries to uh, imagine what it would look like uh if he was able to finish this this manuscript um however there's something that's very tender about um the way that this documentary is constructed, James Baldwin uh, was just a very brilliant and intelligent uh, black man. And there are so many different things that uh, these different quotes, like I quote Baldwin a lot in terms of like, you know, just as he said, to be relatively conscious and a Negro in America is to be in a constant rage. Um, And, and it's so accurate and his writing is so timeless you know we obviously talked earlier about if Beale Street could talk it was based on a novel by Baldwin and so um, what you really get is this uh, eloquent and carefully edited together documentary that um, kind of covers uh, some of Baldwin's life Um, He is able to recount um, the assassinations of three of his friends, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, And so as you're seeing all this strung together, it's almost like you have this eloquent narrator who is walking you through these deaths and what it meant and the relationship between Malcolm and Martin and the two different styles of thinking. And it's just a beautifully well done documentary that people should definitely check out. I know I I actually watched it again the other night on uh, Amazon prime. Uh, So (laughs) it's definitely streaming right now. You can check it out. Absolutely. Recommend it as much as possible. Um, number nine, you mentioned there was multiple John Singleton. So here we go. Uh, Rosewood, 1997, based on a horrific true story. Right, exactly. It is based on truth in which um, uh, there's a claim that is made uh, from a white woman that is untrue. However, uh, basically, the, the, the entire town just kind of goes on uh, a rampage uh, and a lynch mob comes after the main characters in this. 
Um, it is an extremely tough watch. It is one of those films that uh, I'm sure many people have not seen before uh, because it's it doesn't get talked about. But it is uh, an amazing, unflinching look, again, at what things were like back in the 20s. Um, and so, you know, you can look up the Rosewood Massacre in Florida, um, and that's what this is really based on. Um, yeah, man, it, it, it is a tough watch. Uh, but again, if we're going to look at our history, uh, the way that we have related together uh, in the past, it helps you to understand <laughs> Uh, why I think a lot of things are the way they, they are today. You know, Tupac would say, you know, in terms of thug, the hate you give, uh, which is another movie that could have been on uh, in this list. But uh, you really see that here. And so it's, it's a, again, like a, a tough a tough thing to watch. Ving Rhames was in it, Don Cheadle. Um, you definitely had uh, some, some great actors, John Voight. Um, man, I don't want to, I, I didn't give too much away because I don't want to like give you the film. I just want you to watch it. There you go, folks. You got to watch it. Um, but also be in the right mindset. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Number eight, another great movie, uh, Fruitvale Station, Sundance hit that year. Directed by Ryan Coogler, starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, and, uh, you know, it basically launched the two of them together, um, you know, to make Creed. And then, of course, Black Panther and you know, shake up the world with that. But uh, it, this was such a great movie itself. You know, you'll be crying in the theater. But explain uh, why you had Fruitvale Station. Yeah, so, uh, you know, kind of uh, kicking off this, this decade of uh, where we had... Uh, you know, black men and women that were kind of uh, being detained and, you know, um, killed, be it by accident, as some may say, or, you know. Um, Oscar Grant uh, was a 22-year-old black man who had gone out uh, for a New Year's Eve party with friends in a BART station. Um, and unfortunately, he really he lost his life uh, as an officer pulled out what he said he thought was his um, taser, but it actually was his gun. And so he lost his life. Uh, the way that Kugler puts this film together and um, is able to capture the human life of Oscar Grant, not saying that he's a squeaky clean individual. Um, I think he does show that in the film. Um, and none of us are, um, but we're able to really see the impact of, again, a life that is stolen and um, what that kind of looks like. I remember at the time when this had come out, you know, it's 2013. My daughter was born in 2012. And the final scene, which um, Oscar Grant's, you know, girlfriend um, played by Melanie Diaz, she goes into the shower. She just turns on the shower has her clothes on and um, is talk kind of like just letting the water wash over her with her daughter so that she can tell her daughter that her father was killed. I mean, that just broke me, man. I was, oh man, it, it just weeping. It, so again, Fruitvale Station is definitely a tough watch, but especially looking at where we are right now and why these things are important to uh, highlight and try to get um, some measure of 
control as how police relate to civilians and how civilians relate to the police. Um, this is one of those films that are really important to watch. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great movie. And I believe, I think it came out the week of the, not the Trayvon Martin shooting, but the Trayvon Martin verdict. I came, came out that same week. And I just remember being in the theater and the, the, poignancy of it you, you couldn't help but think of how the real current events were happening in the headlines while we went in and watched this movie yeah um number seven another great movie selma um the 2014 by ava duvernay the movie i think probably introduced a lot of people to ava um she's done <laughs> a lot since but a lot of put her on the map for a lot of people and um david oyelowo as mlk during the uh, voting rights act i explain uh, why this is on here so high i think deservedly so yeah, um, and as you said, you know, Ava was definitely doing things before this, but it definitely put her on the map. Um, it featured the song Glory, which, uh, you know, won an Oscar uh, that year as well. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of times when we think about uh, Dr. King and, you know, uh, when you see a quote-unquote biopic, um, it kind of gives you this wide view, whereas this is a slice of a particular time in the nation, a particular time uh, in his life, and looking at uh, Selma and that epic march from Selma to Montgomery, and um, you know what that kind of looked like, what it felt like. Um, I keep remembering this one scene where she just hovers the camera like right above him, but from behind. And again, kind of that symbol of the weight that was on uh, Martin Luther King at at that time. And uh, it's just a powerful, powerful movie. Um, again, a slice of life uh, that really kind of shows where race relations were at the time. And, um, you know, just how important the civil rights uh, movement was. Uh, but what also, you know, black Americans had to go through. But I think not only that, white Americans, Asian, everyone coming together to say, hey, this isn't right. We're going to march together. We're going to do this together. So it's really an important watch. You raised such a good point about how, I mean, I think it's smart that it was like that she took such a a small sliver of life story. Um, And remember the the Daniel Day Lewis Lincoln was just about you know the Thirteenth Amendment. This was mm-hmm. just about the Voting Rights Act, and I think it's these are so vast that yes, you can do a you know a four hour you know Malcolm X or Gandhi, but um, sometimes just taking a sliver is just as powerful. Um, all right, number six, Malcolm X, nineteen ninety two. Um, Spike Lee even said he at times directing it that Denzel Washington was actually inhabited and possessed by the spirit of the actor. <laughs> what a serious, what a performance. And, and you know, explain why this is on here at number six. Yeah, man, this is one of those ones where this is what, you know, definitely Denzel should have won for. Uh, but again, we're talking about that system and films and uh, what do we award what? And, uh, you know, in that year, Al Pacino really kind of got a makeup for the debacle of, you know, his performance in The Godfather. But uh, it, sh- it should have gone to Malcolm X. That's, or, I'm sorry, it should have gone to Denzel for his role of Malcolm X. Uh, but yes, uh, this film looks at uh, the legacy and the life of uh, Malcolm X. And the the really cool thing about this is that it goes from him as... 
you know, a young person when he was Detroit Red and it comes all the way up to his assassination. Um, so we really get a kind of a full look at Martin. Uh, I'm sorry, Malcolm X's life, um, but also the arc that his life took where, you know, he, you know, it was extremely militant uh, in some of his views. Um, and I don't think he necessarily lost some of that at, at the end of his life. But what he did start to realize was, you know, that there were, you know, white Muslims and, and that really opened his eyes to the world and kind of changed his view. So you're able to see um, the character development of the man. And yeah, like you said, I mean, Denzel Washington is absolutely <laughs> magnificent in this in this performance. He gives a tour de force. Um, I, 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 it's it's a longer watch because it's like three and a half hours, uh, but it's definitely one you got to check out if you have not. Hands down, and I, I, I mean, yeah, you get the the spike, you know, the double dolly shot as he's walking up for the final speech, all, all the great, you know, spike directing. But yeah, Denzel, I agree with you. He should have easily won Best Actor. Um, I mean, he had won uh, a Supporting Actor for Glory um, three years earlier, which the famous, you know, teardrop scene, and you know, maybe they could have been on the list too. But like, man, for the leading actor, Best Actor, it sh- it should have been this, and not not the why did Denzel have to be crooked before he took it in Training Day line, <laughs> but like the that was a it good one. Been this. <laughs> nice. It should have been this. You you're know? right. You're right. So like, um, but. Again, it's like you're saying, it's that system of makeup awards that, you know, Al Pacino wins for hoo son of a woman, when it should have been, <laughs> he should have won for The Godfather, Serpent or Dog Day Afternoon, or any of those uh, before that movie, but eh, such is life. And who would have who won in 2001 that should have won when Denzel got his makeup award? You know, who knows? It's an ongoing spiral. Right, right, but, right. Uh, training Day Training Day was a great, great film too. But uh, he, right. he still killed Number it in five. Training Day, though. He did, he did kill that, that, that role. Oh, King Kong ain't got nothing. <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> um, no, I, I freaking love Training Day. Fuqua nailed that movie too, and you know Ethan Hawke, everything. It, it's a great movie. Um, could have, could have put that on here too. Who knows? There's just, there's only 25 spots, you know. Yeah. All right. All right. Root, yeah, yeah, number yeah. five, uh, the TV miniseries, 1977. They're talking about the Denzel, you know, whipping glory scene. Um, well, here's the LeVar Burton, Kudakinte whipping scene. And, uh, man, uh, just tell me why this was a, a must. Yeah, you know, uh, again, I, in, the, in these top five, these are kind of the films that either, A, like, uh, my parents, you know, sat me and my brother down, and we and we had to watch Roots when we were young. And um, just to in terms of understanding you know, this is based off of Alex Haley's family history. Um, and so we're able to see how Kunta Kinte is in Africa was sold into the slave trade after being abducted from his village in Africa. He's brought to the United States and you just see the journey of Kinte, uh, his family, and it goes through, you know, uh, different events in American history, like the Revolutionary and Civil Wars, slave uprisings, and then eventual emancipation. So, you know, in terms of like the before 12 years a slave, um, you know, this was kind of that look and that unflinching look at what it was like to be a slave in America, um, showing at the same time, you know, I think about the scenes when, you know, like jumping the broom and things like that and, and how even through uh, heartache, even through difficult times, you know, black people would try to 
um, find joy, find peace, find happiness. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it's one of those things that I think it just documents, um, a, a terrible time in America. Um, but yet if you want to know how, how did we get where we are? You definitely have to watch Roots. Absolutely. I think they showed early clips of it in like elementary school. And I felt, I remember being like, wow, I feel like a little young to be like, it, it was so <laughs> right. it's like guard me in a way, you know, it's very much, it is powerful stuff. Um, all right. Number four, eyes on the prize, 1987 to 1990, a PBS, um, documentary series of too many directors, you know, to, to name from all the different episodes. Right. But, right. <laughs> uh, why do you want to put this? Yeah, it's, it's huge because I think, um, you know, this is a 14-episode uh, miniseries mini that was put together. Uh, originally, it was on PBS. Uh, what it does is it documents uh, the civil rights movement. Um, it takes a look at, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott in 54, school desegregation in 1957 in Arkansas, uh, the right to vote battle within Mississippi, uh, Voting Rights Act of 1965. So again, um, in terms of looking at the history of America and um, just kind of how we got to where we are, I think this is a documentary that really um, puts that in perspective. Like I said, my parents actually sat me and my brother down to watch this when we were kids so that we could understand what was going on. So again, these are kind of the films and miniseries and you know documentaries that I think people should watch um, just to kind of get a, a different perspective. Um, one of the things uh, in this documentary that gave me nightmares as a kid was the story of Emmett Till. And uh, just being able to, um, I, you know, at the time I was a young boy, black boy watching this. And uh, so learning about Emmett Till's story and how he was a 14-year-old African-American boy who uh, was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 uh, after being accused of offending a white woman in uh, her family's grocery store. You know, it was one of those things where you kind of feel like, ah, could this happen to me? Um, not only that, you know, infamously, uh, his mother allowed his uh, funeral to be an open casket. Um, so after, you know, he had been lynched and he was uh, drowned, his body was bloated, it was disfigured. And so you're able to see that. And that's what gave me nightmares as a kid. Um, when you look at Emmett Till, I mean, he was a handsome uh, teenager, and then you look at his body, um, it is extremely uh, scary. And so it's not that I'm trying to scare people, but America's history is ugly. And I think, again, um, these are one of the many different stories that is told within this documentary or miniseries, and so it's definitely important to watch. Absolutely, and you mentioned the open casket. That casket itself still at Smithsonian uh, African American History Museum of History and Culture. Uh, you can see the actual casket there. Thank, glad you included PBS on here because uh, they they always do such such great work on here. And you know, even the stuff of like Ken Burns with the you know, Civil War, and even yeah. even in his baseball series, he he goes into the you know the the, the old Negro leagues and how Satchel Paige probably struck out all of the great white players <laughs> if he was allowed to play. Right. So like Ken Burns, I think Ken Burns has always had um, a really um, open-minded, uh, fair approach to stuff for PBS, too. So I'm glad you put Eyes on the Prize on here. Everybody check it out. Yeah. All right. We've entered the top <laughs> three. 
Here we go. Um, when they see a 2019 uh, Ava DuVernay based on another shocking story, um, tell us about this. Yeah, so, uh, you know, back in the day, this was called the Central Park Five. Uh, now they want to be known as the Exonerated Five, um, and mainly because, again, we have a media system in America in which, you know, you, you, I mean, you know this. you got to come up with the lead. What's the lead? What's the angle? What's the uh, witty, you know, kind of title? And so um, it looks at the 1989, a jogger was assaulted and raped in New York Central Park. Five young uh, black or well, minority men. It wasn't all uh, African-American. Um, they were rounded up and accused of doing the heinous act. Um, they all were innocent. And th- this miniseries, again, is an unflinching look at uh, what it looks like uh, in some ways, uh, I, I, I feel in many ways, to, to be black in America. Um, when they see us, uh, what do people think? Um, can, is it, you know, just teenagers that are hanging out in Central Park? Or, are you know, is it a threat? Is it uh, labeled as thugs, labeled as, you know, the labels that are put on people? Um, this again, I remember when this came out and I, you know, I was telling people, Hey, you got to watch this. It is a difficult watch. I hated watching it. Um, but what Ava DuVernay does here is very important. Um, the way that she's able to tell, uh, these boys now men story, um, is just absolutely incredible. It's heartbreaking. Um, but it, this is America and, uh, you know, I, I believe that the performances within, uh, you know, this is just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Jarrell Jerome as Corey Wise, uh, I believe it was in episode four, like the, the whole thing. He was he was the one that was um, in prison the longest. Uh, and many times he was in, isolated and by himself and what that does on a human human's brain but not only that like to be innocent the entire time uh and so again yes another unflinching look at uh life in america and so i definitely suggest people see it again this is this is not easy stuff jason this isn't easy digestible stuff uh i remember watching this you know over you can't watch it you can't binge it in one night like you got to watch it over the course of a week or something like you know take in part one then take in part two a couple days later you know calm down and you know just kind of you know digest it as you can uh but it's very important that we take a look at the truth we take a look at uh the issues that we're facing Absolutely. And I remember you mentioned Jarrell Jerome's performance. He he won an Emmy for it. He won an Emmy for it for mm-hmm. uh, lead actor in a limited series. Um, and everyone remember him as the middle-aged Kevin in, in Moonlight. All right. Number two, 13th, uh, 2016, the do- another documentary by Ava DuVernay. You have her back-to-back here. Just shows, and, you know, and uh, she had three in the top ten. Shows how, you know, the amazing work she's doing. Um, but talk about this. This is about the, the criminal justice system. Another, I think it was I think it was on Netflix. It might still be. Um, yeah. Explain, uh, uh, you know, why, you know, why once you see this, you'll 
look at the world differently. Yeah, I just want to say black women are brilliant. Um, <laughs> and all women are brilliant. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but in the way that Ava is able to tell stories, she's just an amazing storyteller. And so, yeah, as you pointed out, a, a lot of her films actually are dealing with um, you know, race and race relations. And uh, so, yes, uh, 2016, she did a documentary that was exploring the history of racial inequality in the United States. And specifically, it really was kind of focusing on uh, the nation's prisons and how they are disproportionately filled with African-Americans and the fact that, you know, um, African-Americans being, uh, I believe it's 13% of, uh, you know, our nation's population, yet um, they are the majority of people that you find in prisons. Um, And so this documentary really kind of looks at why that is and um, how that came to be. Uh, And so, again, this is uh, one of those things that will kind of help to further expand and educate and give you a bigger picture of um, how things have gotten the way that they are to this day. For sure. Um, All right. And we've reached the top of the list. Uh, Number one, um, it's sort of the default answer, but it's in this case, it's the right answer. Um, (laughs) Number one, do the right thing. 1989, um, Spike Lee's masterpiece ahead of its time, should have won Best Picture. Instead, it went to Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Spike Lee even referenced that when he won his makeup Oscar for, for Black Klansman, you know, against the year of Green Book. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he, ref- he said, do the right thing in his speech. Um, but talk about why this is, it's a, it's a classic and so daring in so many ways. Yeah, you know, I watched this the other day. I'm, I got to write a, another article on, on do the right thing and its importance. And obviously it's very important to American history. Um, You know, it's in the national archives. Uh, This film. And I think, as I I was saying before in the eighties and nineties, we had this um, uh, explosion of black directors who um, got the camera and, you know, just really said what they needed to say. There is a certain amount of, youth when you're young you're not jaded uh by society you're not afraid to say what you have to say and that's what do the right thing does um it it looks at one of the hottest days in the summer in uh, a small in brooklyn and basically um you know as tensions kind of rise what we're able to really see is this interplay between you know italian americans um black folks in the neighborhood uh, Koreans in the neighborhood, Latinos in the neighborhood. And um, what Spike does is he doesn't answer questions. And I was watching this again the other day, and it's amazing to me. Um, French New Wave is kind of all over this in terms of, you know, geeking out cinematically. Um, but how he breaks the fourth wall, which means, you know, direct address to the camera, direct address to the audience. So, you know, as he's allowing different races to just spit out all of the different um, uh, names that we may call each other, you know, racial names and, and 
um, just all the kind of vow things that could be brewing for some people on the inside. And he just puts it out there and it's raw and it's real. Uh, but he doesn't necessarily say, hey, here's the answer. Um, you know, uh, what eventually happens is uh, one of the guys in the neighborhood, Radio Rahim, is killed by the police, which kind of starts a, a riot. <laughs> And the interesting thing, you know, again, is that, you know, this was based off of, uh, <clears throat> again, uh, killings uh, that happened at, at that time at the hands of uh, uh, the police. And uh, that's kind of what inspired him to write this. And so it's really crazy how, you know, you know, 21 years later, um, this film is just timeless. I, I was I was I tried to, you know, DM him on Instagram. I'm sure I'll never hear from him. But <laughs> but I'm like, what does it feel like to have basically made uh, like a documentary that you could put in almost any decade and just drop there and it, it resonates. And, and to me, the question, Jason is like, why is this movie still relevant? You know what I mean? Like, why have we not, why have we not grown? Why is this, you can pop this in and it's still reflective of today. Like, I think it will be great when we can say, okay, that was a great film for the time. But, like, it's, I don't know. I, that part boggles my mind. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely think just in terms of um, the open-endedness of this film, the fact that he doesn't say what's right or wrong, it allows you as a viewer to ingest it, and your moral compass is kind of telling you what's right and what's wrong, right? Um and so, yeah, I just think it's a it's a powerful film. Again, some of the the camera work that he has in it, uh, the music was amazing. Um, and there's so many different things that he does cinematically, where he has you know music that's clashing with one with each other um, uh, in terms of the score and the sound. Um, you know, Rosie Perez and you know the way that she is fighting and her dancing that opens up the entire film it just lets you know like you know you're in for a film that has a director at the helm and so definitely got to watch that and you know i put it on my number one like you said maybe it's you know you'd expect this on anybody's list uh but i just this this film is uh, amazing it had such a big impact on me as well as a you know young wannabe black filmmaker so uh definitely want to check that one out and I love what you said about how, you know, it should have been a time capsule of its time. And, you know, and, and in many ways it is. It starts off public enemy declaring 1989. Yeah. You know? So like, <laughs> it still has it still has that, you know, that it's time capsule quality. But do the right thing could have been a movie Spike made in response to George Floyd or Eric Garner or name name it, you know, like, yeah. I think it keeps coming back around, and um, I, I think it's absolutely should be should be number one. And uh, the ending, like you said, um, it, it, he flashes, you know, after the riot, after the famous Mookie throwing the cl- the trash can, Spike flashes the the double quotes of um, Martin Luther King uh, saying, you know, by peaceful protest, and Malcolm X saying, you know, by any means necessary. So it kind of lets viewers decide what they think is the right thing, which I think most good films do. I think the semi-ambiguous 
ending, turn it over to the audience, I think is usually the right way to go. Yeah. Um, but speaking of which, uh, our listeners, GOP uh, and um, DC Black Film Fest followers can um, both, we're going to, they can weigh in themselves because let's tell them what we're doing. We're doing a very cool on Tuesday. We're going to do a Twitter watch along of Do the Right Thing. Um, you follow um, me at Jay WTOP. You can follow Kevin at, at Kevin Sampson. Um, you can also follow, you know, it, it'll be a dual presentation of, you know, so at WTOP and at DC Black Film Fest. We will be tweeting the movie. We'll all hit play at the same time at 8 p.m. <laughs> right. um, we'll all hop on Twitter, 8, 8 p.m. Tuesday. And um, I think uh, I think it's free on Peacock, the NBC thing. Uh, I, if you speak, do the right thing into your Xfinity voice remote. It came up for free for me. Hopefully that's still the case Tuesday. But I know you can also rent it on Amazon, Voodoo, iTunes, YouTube, Google Play. So um, anything you want to say about the, you know, the live stream? I mean, I want it to be something where people, you know, can, can conversation. You know, Twitter, people get behind their anonymous, you know, troll handles and just, you know, spit fire. But I really want it to be a, a learning, healing, understanding experience. I mean, what, what are you hoping for it? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I think it's just a, a classic uh, film and like everything, all the reasons that I said, um, just the way that, you know, it's it's raw, it's real, it's in your face. Uh, you can't escape it. And I, I, I hope we can just like watch it together, like have some laughs, some jokes. Um, but at the same time, we can also maybe bring up questions, you know, and those little splinter conversations, um, that can be started. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing, Jason. Can we just have conversations with one another? Can we hear one another out? You know, why is it that you support this person and just sit there and actually listen and learn? And if you get up from that moment and you still are in disagreement, that's fine. But I think when we don't listen to one another, uh, bad things happen. And I think that uh, I think that it'll be really fun for us to do this, man. Uh, I'm hoping for the best. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I can't I can't wait. It'll be fun. Uh, but thanks so much for um, for doing this. Um, it turned into a nice hour and a half conversation. <laughs> but that's what you can expect from me. I know. I know. <laughs> We oh, always man. do this. <laughs> no, but you know what? I think it, it's important and great suggestions for, for everyone to watch. I almost feel like, you know, it's like before you say anything about the current situation in America, watch these 25 movies, and then you might maybe have a have, have a room to, to say something. Yeah, man. And, you know, Jason, one thing I do want to say, and yeah, I just appreciate the fact that you realize that, hey, you, you know, you – you have a platform, WTOP Entertainment page, and um, when you came to me, you had said like you wanted to do something, and you wanted to give space for a black voice, and um, I appreciate that, man. I, I think that um, we all got to give space for one another. It doesn't; it's not a black white thing. Like we got to give space for, you know. Um, Asians to tell us like what are the top movies that we should be watching right because so many times we're not going to um, see great films and we'll miss some of that cinema and so 
by uh, opening up the space to be able to talk together. I think that's so important. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking me up on it. So I uh, appreciate it. Um, everybody check out the, the list on WTOP.com and join us uh, for the uh, co-production of uh, T.O.P. and D.C. Black Film Fest uh, on Twitter, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Do the right thing. Watch along. Kevin Sin, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks.